On today's episode of The Pickup, we start off with an awesome interview with former NFL cornerback Michael Skurlock. We talked about his draft process, the draft that just happened, and just his football career. It was really cool. And then after that, we dove into the NFL draft. We talked about all the quarterbacks that got drafted. Will they make the playoffs within the next five years or not? And just some of our favorite picks. And then we wrapped it up talking about baseball. Are the Yankees back? What's going on with the Dodgers? And we touched on the MLB draft a little bit too. All in all, a great episode. So much of that and more coming to you now on The Pickup. Welcome back to The Pickup, episode number 17. We are recording this on Cinco de, I mean Cinco de Mayo at 8.16 p.m. What's going on, Drew? Not much, not much. Just chilling, you know, uh, hanging out. Uh, excited to hear the question of the week. Excited to be back this week. Uh, finals are over. Kind of being ready for summer, you know. Yeah, for sure. Must be nice. Got one more final tomorrow morning, and junior year will already somehow have come to an end. Seemed like it took forever at times because of COVID and the online and everything, but the end is here, and hopefully we're back to normal in the fall. So starting off with the question of the week, I've expressed this before. You know how I feel about this, but I've never really asked how you feel about it. When is baseball going to implement a salary cap, and do you think they should? (laughs) Um, oh man, I don't think they're going to, Uh I don't see it happening anytime soon, at least. Um, and then the second part, should they, (laughs) I I think that's the only thing about baseball currently that's still like bringing fans in is the fact that you can pay people like Bauer, May, Bueller, Kershaw, uh, Bellinger, Betts, Will Smith, those guys all play on the same team. Justin Turner, Max <laughs> Muncy. That's just, that's just one team, right? So if you went to a salary cap, that would be a split up team and it would run more like a baseball or a, excuse me, like a basketball or a football would, where it was you have one good team that, you know, is one high value name versus five to six at each team. You know, and I think that that's the difference. I think it would become a little bit more competitive through the whole, like, top to bottom um, due to the fact that small market teams, as in Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, those two teams could then start paying for Bellingers and Betts and go get those big, valuable guys that have bigger names, that sell out of jerseys, the Trouts, the – Lindors, those guys, neither one of our teams can afford those two guys right now. That's why I think that the salary cap would be slightly beneficial as it would make the league more competitive. Yeah, like you said, I don't think it will happen anytime soon, but I've made it clear before. I think it should. I just don't think it's fair that Trevor Bauer can sign a contract that's worth more than what the Cleveland Indians, Pittsburgh Pirates are paying and the Baltimore Orioles are paying their whole entire starting roster. And (laughs) I mean, and yeah, it's nice, like, because obviously people always want parity, like, totally even, which that's not always necessarily great because you do want those kind of, like, villain, like, top teams or whatever. But 
when you look at Spaceball, I mean, like, the Rockies compared to, like, what the Yankees and Dodgers have on their roster, like, it's just such a vast difference in between those two rosters. And so I just think they need to do that to just make it more equal overall. So going into the cold tub and hot tub. So I'm going to start off first, and I'm going to go off with – I have a couple of cold tubs. First off, um, preseason baseball MVP, I picked Francisco Lindor (laughs) to be my MVP. And Francisco Lindor has not – literally not done anything this year. He's hitting under 200, which is extremely embarrassing – and he's hitting Drew. He's hitting 163 with one home run. He has 14 hits and 86 at bats, three RBIs, with an on base percentage of only 284. I mean, that's terrible, especially after coming off of years where you're gone 313, 301, 284, with hitting 38 home runs in a year, 32 home runs in a year. I don't know if it's the big apple that got to him or what it is, but I got to put myself in the cold <laughs> tub for that. And then my second cold tub of the week is something that I sent you on Instagram earlier today. So I've aired my complaints about Angel Hernandez more times than I can count. And he just continues to provide content. So Angel Hernandez made a terrible call last night and he said he was blinded by the outfield scoreboard and had to come out with the call. He said, I basically guessed and I got it wrong. Like, excuse me, you're already the worst blue, like in the entire MLB and now you're just making stuff up as it goes. I can't stand this guy. I can't do it. I just, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, it's pretty awful. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's not much else you can say about that, to be honest with you, other than it's just pure ignorance, really. <laughs> you know, that's not even a good thing at all. But no, I, um, my ice bath this week, I, I don't know what kind of stance you're going to take. Maybe it'll spark a little bit of a conversation. Uh, maybe it won't. Who knows? But I'm going to just kind of call out the entire MLB kind of front office of the Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, because on Saturday there was uh, another fight with the Cubs and the Reds. And Amir Garrett got suspended seven games for inciting the fight. Mm-hmm. When Javier Baez jumps out of the dugout and tells Amir Garrett to come on, come get some, he was in the dugout. Amir Garrett struck out Anthony Rizzo. Why was Javier Baez not in trouble at all, right? And then inciting a fight. So next time that the Cubs are in town or we go there, if Baez hits a home run, off of Amir Garrett. If Amir Garrett goes and tries to fight him, does Javier Baez get suspended for inciting a fight? Because it's the same thing to me as pimping a home run as getting excited as a strikeout. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like what I said a couple weeks ago when you talked about it with Yadier Molina. Some of those guys are just kind of hotheads and they're just going to try and do like, I don't know, I just think it was unnecessary because we saw Trevor Bauer reacted to what Fernando Tatis Jr. did a couple weeks or a week or two ago when yeah. he, like, pretended to have his eyes well, closed. And, and Trevor Bauer was a good sport about it, but yeah, there's just some guys that aren't. Wrong. Rizzo wasn't upset. He put his head down. He just kind of was like, dang, he struck me out and walked to the dugout. But his his little buddy boy in the, the dugout got pissed. There ain't no reason for you to be on the field, Javier. Go yeah. sit down, man. Yeah, I mean, there's really not, but he's just kind of a hothead and just seems to try to get himself yeah. into as and, many situations as possible. And the problem to me, too, is is it's Rob Manfred's got 
taken by the earlobe or the sack, whatever you want to say, <laughs> by Molina and Baez. And you, there's more. Yeah. Uh, Bauer, Gray, or not Gray, uh, Beavers. Those guys have Rob Manfred by the horns, and they mm-hmm. can do whatever they want with no repercussions. Yeah. So that's the problem I have with this whole situation. Yeah, and I think it's also probably playing a factor in it too that it's like it's I think like not that I'm blaming Amir Garrett, but it's not the first time that he's done it, which I think played a part in it because he had the no, Pittsburgh yeah, call a couple years ago and multiple times throughout his career he's been a part of like fighting, and so I think that's yeah, probably but... what the biggest deal was. But all he had to say to Javier Baez was, "Dog, you're hitting 242 this year, and you're yeah. playing like crap." So. He had 203 yeah, last mean, year, 242 this year with a 274 on base. Go sit back on the bench where you belong. Yeah, I mean, Javier Baez has been involved with past stuff too. So, I mean, the past to me just has nothing to do with this because they both have it. I mean, they both yeah. get into it. But why would you come out of the dugout and then still not get suspended for a game or at least two? You mm-hmm. know, I wasn't even talking to you. Don't come yeah. out here. But – I'll uh, I'll jump to the hot tub real quick, and I'm gonna say and throw in Urban Meyer into okay. the hot tub. And the reason for that is everybody and their mother knew Trevor Lawrence was gonna go number one to Jacksonville, you know, and everybody was okay with that. Everybody, there wasn't a huge problem with that. But at twenty, what was it, six pick twenty six? I think yeah. it was. He comes out and drafts Travis Etienne to keep his backfield complete. Like literally, you don't have to change a thing about your backfield now, but just let those two be the starters. Yeah, because you, <laughs> I mean, obviously the cowbell type like run scheme hasn't worked. We've seen Ezekiel Elliott get got hurt. Christian McCaffrey lost it for a few years, but he got hurt. And so they were smart and they were like, yeah, we see James Robinson as a stud, but we know we can't just rely on him every single time because running backs bodies just don't hold up because of how brutal that position is. So yeah. James Robinson is going to be your up and down, like power type guy through the inside tackles. And then you'll have ETN. Who's just going to be a playmaker catching screens, catching passes going in and out. So That'll be exciting to see. Plus, I mean, that gives Trevor Lawrence another level of comfort when he's yeah. back there because he knows everything about the guy. I mean, they've been playing together for the last three years. So, yeah. And then I have two hot tubs. One's extremely recent as of like right now. But the first one, I, I hate the Yankees, but the Yankees fans last night were awesome. When the Astros came to town, they were doing the same <laughs> thing with blow up garbage cans like the Angels did. And I didn't realize either. This was the first time they've played each other since that series in 2019 because of the way the divisions were drawn in the COVID season last year. And that just kind of seemed crazy to me. That was the first time they've played since Altuve hit that home run off of Chapman to send him to the World Series, which is kind of wild. And um, But yeah, Yankees fans would just not give it up. And it, it was just nice to see because that's been well overdue. And then the second thing, so for you guys, hockey people out there, Tom Wilson absolutely slammed our Timmy Panarin into the gra- into the ice uh, two nights ago for no reason. Tom Wilson is a scumbag, can't stand the guy. He's one of my top five most hated players. And, dude, just a tool, absolute tool. But tonight the Rangers and Caps are playing each other again. And this game has been absolutely insane to watch. So there are currently – 12 minutes left in the second period, which means they've played 28 minutes so far. Drew, guess how many penalty minutes they have? 
Washington has 46 penalty minutes already, and the Rangers have 58 penalty minutes. So we are 28 game, 28 minutes into the game, and there has been a total of 104 penalty minutes so far. <laughs> and it, it's that's, insane, that's insane, dude. It's insane. So I'm putting this game in the hot tub because it's been super exciting to watch. There's actually just another fight, Drew. We were talking about a little bit before. There's a fight that happened about yeah. a minute and a half, two minutes ago when you were giving your uh, cold tub. And yeah, this this game's just been a lot of fun to watch. So it's, I I don't like the Rangers either. They already got eliminated from the playoffs. But shout out them for holding their ground and coming back and fighting Washington after all the dirty stuff they did last time. So we are now going to head into the Michael Scurlock interview. That was just absolutely awesome. You know, it's so cool to get to talk to an NFL player who has that much experience. Um, had big time interceptions against players like Jim Kelly, and just a really cool interview in general. So here is that interview with Michael Skurlock. All right, so joining us now, we have former NFL cornerback who played for the St. Louis Rams and the Carolina Panthers, Mike Skurlock. How's it going today? I'm doing very well. I appreciate you guys having me on, and, and I, I respect the work that you guys have been doing. I had a, ch a chance to listen to it a little bit and of what your previous work has been, and I think you guys are doing an outstanding job, and I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate you coming on and joining us today. It's been kind of a process trying to get a big name on, and we really appreciate you coming on, you know. Not a bigger name in the Fort Mill, Charlotte area than Mike Skurlock right now, so. Well, I, I, I tell you what, you're stroking my ego, but uh, I appreciate <laughs> the praise. <laughs> but uh, I guess that can be kind of like my first question jumping into it is, you play four years with the Rams and then come over to Charlotte for a season and then kind of immediately make Charlotte your home after growing up in Arizona and playing four seasons in St. Louis. What made you kind of stay in Charlotte? Like what held you here? I think, you know, any, anytime you finish a career in one, um, in one venture that you, you do, um, you know, there may be certain things that, that keep you in that certain area. And it just happened to be that for me, once I finished playing football, there was one, um, one position after another position. And, um, you know, so that was really what, what kept me here in the Carolinas, you know, just building uh, relationships and, and, and just, uh, you know, the work environment here and just uh, trying to impact this community. Um, you know, that's what really kept me here in the Carolinas, you know, I, I thought about, you know, my wife is from Europe, you know, we had, we had toyed, toyed about, you know, moving back to Europe at some point, and I'm from Arizona, we had talked about moving back to Arizona at another point, but I think our ties are truly here in the Carolinas, being able to help uh, people here locally, and um, just, you know, and we enjoy it, you know, my wife enjoys the four seasons that, uh, that are here, <laughs> and, um, you know, so we made, we made the Carolinas our home. Yes, yes, I understand that. So kind of a question from your playing career. So you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think if I'm looking at this right, uh, when you were drafted to the Rams, it was their first year relocating from L.A. over to St. Louis. Um, were there any, like, just kind of noticeable differences compared to, like, maybe when you went to Carolina, how they had been established, even though they were a new team, like, established for a few years, that when you got drafted to the Rams, it was, like, their first year in St. Louis? Well, I, I think the excitement, you know, I mean, I think anytime you come from one city to another city, one state to another state, just the excitement of a new organization, a new NFL team arriving to that, um, that place, 
um, the excitement behind that team arriving is is unreal. You know, when we were in, when I was in Los Angeles, you know, that was my rookie season, and I, I had an opportunity just to go through uh, the uh, not so much the, the training camp as the six week training camp, but the the mini camps, I would say. And the crowd base from which was one, one, one person who had really attended the practices, um, with, that individual was a true diehard fan, which name was Merg. And I think he's still with the, with the organization now. Um, he moved into the organization, but um, to a crowd base of hundreds of fans, you know, coming out and watching uh, the practice, um, you know, doing autographs after practices, um, the the events that you would do outside of games and practices. So the difference between Los Angeles, where I think the the Los Angeles Rams during that time just pretty much lost their home because they weren't really a good program, didn't have a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you move to St. Louis, you know the excitement uh, behind the new organization and um, and everybody just wanting to be around the players and the coaching staff. Uh, you could tell there was a big big difference. So uh, kind of the, the follow-up and moving into the draft last week, um, being, if I'm looking at it, the, the fifth round, 140th pick is, you know, maybe puts a little chip on your shoulder. Like, what was that like? What was that moment like? You know, like that phone call. Like, what what was that phone call, you know? Well, yeah, well, 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 here's the thing. It, did, it never really put a chip on my shoulder. And I, and I say that for this for this reason. I know a lot of individuals who, who think that um, you get drafted a little bit lower than what you expected. But you have to understand, 147th pick. And I want you to really take that in. 147th pick out of the entire world. You understand? So there's a, there's a difference. Now, your pride may kick in because you personally may feel that you need to go to a higher <laughs> round. Um, Bill, Bel- Bill Belichick, you know, Bill Belichick, uh, when he was with the Cleveland Browns, he told me he was going to take me in the third round. Now, I'll be honest, I was disappointed I did not go in the third round. They, they chose, and I, I was excited that they didn't choose another defensive back. However, they, or they, they, so they chose a, a lineman, I believe it was offensive lineman. So I wasn't too disappointed because they went with a different position and they felt that that was going to be their bigger need. However, me going into the um, fifth round as the, I believe, what, what was it, Drew? You said it was 147th, 140th. Yeah, 140th. I can't even remember which one it is. <laughs> 100, 140th, okay? So, that, see, that's a, little, that's a little bit better. I feel a little bit better now. 140th pick um, out, of, out of thousands of players, out of thousands of players, is it, not, it's not bad. But, but the draft day itself for me was when, you know, I had two teams call me pretty much simultaneously. The Detroit Lions called me, and and they were going to draft me in the, the next pick, which was I guess would have been the 141st pick. And um, they, they were trying to keep me on the line. They tried to tie the line up so the Los Angeles Rams at that time couldn't call in and actually draft <laughs> me. And the Detroit Lions were telling me, hey, how would you like to play across from, from Barry Sanders? And I was excited. I'm thinking, like, yes, yes, just go ahead and pick me. But then all of a sudden, I, I saw my name pop up on ESPN. Mike Skurlock is drafted by the St. or by the Los Angeles Rams, obviously the St. Louis Rams, and the rest was history. But you know, I think you go into the, you you go into the NFL, and I think Drew, you might be able to relate to this. I know you're a baseball player. You love baseball. You, you it sounds like you you've been progressing in baseball. Um, when you're not when you're not probably one of the top top individuals, sometimes it's just great to get 
that somebody appreciates your talent and then all of a sudden you get on a major league baseball team or, or an NFL team. And then you realize, say, you know what? I just want to, I just want to leave my mark. I want to, I want to show, I do want to show this team that they didn't go wrong by picking me. And I want to show my peers that, um, that I'm competing with that, that they can count on me. And that was really the attitude that I went into uh, playing with the St. Louis Rams, just saying, look, I want to dominate in whatever position that I'll play. I just want to kick everybody's butt, you know, and just, uh, and, and just, um, and be the best that I could be. Yeah. I understand the bulldog mentality. That's so, right. Yeah. So you kind of just touched on how you uh, talked to Bill Belichick for a little bit. So looking back at some of those coaches back there, quite a few with personalities, whether it's um, Jeff Fisher was there, Dave Wanstat, you had Mike Shanahan, Tom Coughlin, who were just some of like coaches that you may have talked to in the draft process that still stick out to you. And then we hear all the time, guys, too, that they just hear like crazy questions throughout the draft process. And did you have any of those? Um, you know, through the draft process, you, you have you, you, you meet with a ton of coaches, you meet with a ton of doctors, you meet with a ton of people um, just doing different testing. You know, you, you're talking with the coaching staff. They're asking you different questions in reference to your goals, you know, who you are as a person. Uh, what, what do you expect to accomplish when you come into the NFL? What can you offer? Just like a regular job interview, what can you offer our organization or program? And to keep in mind, I was, I was drafted in the fifth round. I wasn't a first rounder where they actually truly needed me. They were, they were just kind of picking their brain and saying, listen, if we're going to, if we're going to, uh, if we want to give up one of our draft picks here in our later rounds or earlier later rounds, then we really want to know who these guys are because the top, some of the top guys that are being um, going to be drafted, they pretty much want them for their talent as well, but also for their ability and knowledge of, of, uh, of the game and then also just for what they do outside. So you have a number of coaches within the draft itself, and, and I can't really pinpoint or remember um, you know, specifically because I think it, it, it all happens so fast and – I think you're just in a different world when everything is taking place uh, during that time. And, and I don't know if anything really sticks with any of the players because it's happening all so fast. So uh, your, your rookie year was 1995 with the Rams and Isaac Bruce and Jerome Bettis were both on that team. So luckily you did not have to go up against them in games. Can you like, give me kind of like, your favorite, like, across-the-ball wide receiver to guard? Like, what was, like, a game that sticks out to you or a player that you had to guard that was like, wow, I'll never forget that moment or that game? Yeah, well, I, I could tell you the, one of the toughest players that I had to guard was uh, McKeenan Cardell, and he played with the Jacksonville Jaguars during that time. Um, and he was very, very tough to guard, very shifty, very quick wide receiver, However, one of my most memorable times of playing against a wide receiver in the NFL was against Jerry Rice. I actually started oh, um, awesome. against him and, and had an opportunity to to play um, and 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 did very very well against him. You know, I in my personal opinion, and maybe I'm being biased because I'm speaking <laughs> just because it's, it's me, but you know, it, it was one of the things that I truly felt that I dominated him in the game when we went to play in San Francisco. Uh, now, when he came to play us in St. Louis, he did catch a touchdown pass on me. However, you know, I blame that, and I still blame it on this day on the free safety because he didn't get over the top <laughs> where he should have been. But, uh, but he was one of the more he was one of the more memorable uh, one of the more memorable um, 
offensive player played against, and I happened to be hurt. Um, I had hurt my back, I believe, when I was playing with the St. Louis Rams, and I believe Jerome Bettis at that time had went to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, thankfully, I was hurt that um, <laughs> during that game because Jerome Bettis, Jerome Bettis truly lived up to the expectations of of the bus, and he truly ran through the defense. and And it was a big blizzard in Pittsburgh, and my body was beat up and hurt. and And every time he runs someone over, I, I felt the pain for them. So. But those were two, two of the more memorable uh, individuals. But even speaking of Jerome Bettis, Jerome Bettis, I could tell you, he took me and a couple of other rookies under his wing when we went in, we were in Los Angeles and really just, you know, gave us uh, life, um, I think, life lessons that we could take with us when we played in the NFL. Um, and so, you know, I, I take my hat off to him. He probably wouldn't remember me, you know, even if, if, we, if we met today, but <laughs> You know, I do remember him because because of, you know, such an impact he was, you know, my rookie season and looking up to him and watching him when I was in college and playing when he was at Notre Dame, you know, doing the same thing he was doing in the NFL. So I have just a great deal of respect for him and some of the other players I played with as well. Yeah, yeah that's awesome to hear because, like, my whole family, we're all from Pittsburgh, so diehard Steeler fans. So obviously Jerome Bettis was, like, a really cool player to watch growing up. Even though I was young, I got to see a little bit of him at the end and just – learning about him through history and, you know, watching some old films and stuff they put on him on NFL network. It's cool to see that he was like such a great guy off the field as he seemed on the field. So then also kind of looking then at your time at the Panthers, some other guys you played with. So you played with Mike Minter, who growing up, he was always a big name in Carolina. Uh, Mike Rucker, another big name captain. I think he's in the broadcast industry now. And then in practice, I don't know if you did or not, but you had Moose and Muhammad and Ray Carruth on the offensive side. So what was it just like? Cause those were some of the big Carolina names back then, like just playing with those guys. Yeah, I can, I can tell you, uh, um, Muhammad was a, I would say a role model in reference to the game of football for me. Um, there were certain positions that I played, which is called the gunner, you know, on the punt, when you're out far on the outside and you go down and try to make a tackle on the, on the punt returner, uh, Musin Muhammad would give me uh, just, just different tips on how to get off the ball on, on, on receivers um, or defensive backs and how to get down the field. And not only was he inspirational and just a, a great source of, of uh, knowledge when I played football, he was also just a great friend outside of the game as well and have an opportunity to play with uh, Ray Carruth. You know, he was, he was very, very, very good at what he did as well. Obviously, you know, there were some, some other things that he, he was uh, involved of and convicted of outside of that. Um, mm -hmm. But he was, he was a funny guy, you know, just, just, uh, just a joy, uh, obviously to be around during those times. But, um, and, and I can go down the list. I think you, you mentioned who, who else would you miss? You know, Mike, Mike, Rucker, Mike, Mike Minner, you know, just, mm -hmm. Yeah, Mike Minner, you know, just just having an opportunity to, to play with him. And, you know, he was very, very knowledgeable of the the game itself. You know, I was a, I, I'm a note taker and I have to have things repetitive, uh, repeat it uh, to me and I have to go over it uh, consistently just to make sure that it sticks and I understand it. Mike Minner is a person who didn't really need uh, a whole bunch of notes and different things. He just sat in meetings and he listened, he absorbed it and he was able to apply it on a, on the football field. And you know, and Mike, uh, and I, st I still speak briefly at times with Mike Minner today, and, and I, I do have a 
a good friendship with Mike Rucker and his family, um, as well as um, our wives and everybody uh, get together uh, period, periodically through through the years, obviously before the pandemic. But um, but yeah, we still uh, keep in touch. That's Very awesome. nice. Um, kind of throwing it because the draft was this past week and nowadays in the social media era of 2021, we got to see and kind of hear some of those phone calls and like what people said, like how they were. So like, what is like the big differences that you could see from your experience to say uh, JC Horn or Patrick Sertan, the first two defensive backs that were off the board, even like your experience to theirs kind of like in the terms of like what we hear about what they said and how those phone calls went. Well, you, you, I, and, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. I, I don't, I didn't watch much of the draft. If anything, I watched some of the highlights. And so I uh, can't give you a great deal of feedback, but I know the social media and the coverage of the draft is so much different from the time that I played. Um, if we would have had that type of coverage, you know, I think everybody looks back on, on where we came from to where we are now. I think just the advertisement, the money that you're able to make nowadays compared to what you made back then, just based on a lot of social media, the, the media coverage, the sponsorships, the, the, the TV, uh, the TV ads, everything that, that comes along with it. But, you know, I think anytime you get a phone call from any team, um, especially um, when you um, when it when you when it's least expected, that's when it's the most rewarding because now you feel like all the hard work and all the people who've doubted you over the years, all the people who have criticized you, whether your opponents, whether your same teammates, whether it be your some of your co um, those on the coaching staff, even even some family members. Um, now, you know, it, it, it kind of validates, you know, the work that you put in for so many years and so many things that people don't see outside of, of, you know, the work that you put in or everybody sees Sunday, everybody sees the NFL draft, but no one sees the heartache, the tears, the pain, the, you know, I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. And then you persevere, you push through and then you're able to overcome. And then, so I think the draft pretty much validates your efforts, your time that you put in uh, to the game and says, you know what, now we're going to reward you not only, not only uh, for you to continue to play the game that you've truly and always wanted to play, but now financially we're going to pay you as well. Uh, to where you've been doing, you've been you've been doing it for free pretty much your whole life, and now we're going to pay for something that you've always enjoyed doing. Yeah, kind of going off of that point, you see a lot of guys that are in the league nowadays, like maybe some of the older ones. They said if they were coming up through the draft at this point, that like Terry Bradshaw just said it like a day or two ago. He said he would have been a fifth or sixth round pick because of his maturity issues. Just if they had all the technology on them all the time now. So I guess my question for you is. How do you think you would have handled the whole like social media age if we put you in 2021 now with like cameras on you all the time? Would you have been like mature enough or like back in the day? Do you think it kind of would have messed you up a little bit? No, I, th I think, you know, I came from just a, an environment of, of hard work. You know, I've had uh, my stepdad who pretty much raised me was someone who um, he was he was in the military. You know, he. He worked uh, in the Pentagon, you know, so I came from a very, very structured uh, family, someone who taught me what it meant to have true uh, leadership and also to be grounded. Um, 
you know, I, I think for the most part, I craved the cameras, you know, coming up. I wanted to be in front of this. I wanted to be on in, in the spotlight. You know, unfortunately, I was never really one of those players who ever made it into the spotlight. There are other players that I watched um, who did make it into the spotlight pretty much almost every game. And I believe it, it probably hurt some of them because sometimes if you believe the media so much, you tend not to work as hard and you tend not to um, stay focused on the task at hand. And so I think what happened for me, maybe, you know, maybe it could have, maybe it could have hurt me a little bit and, and said, you know, maybe, maybe I'm believing all the hype that Mike Sturlock is this great football player. I don't have to work as hard. And maybe the reason that's why I did not get as much media attention for that reason is, and, and that kept me, really motivated and really working hard in order for me to achieve my goals and, and which I felt that I was able to do. But, but, you know, I look back on it and one of the times I did have all the media coverage where I had maybe 30 cameras around me, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed it. So. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've known you for a little while now and kind of since the earliest talking and memory uh, faith has always been kind of a basis of who you are and how you carry your person. So can you like maybe go into depth on how much like faith affected you coming up? Like, was there ever a time in your process of the NFL and draft where you maybe were like, what am I doing wrong? You know, but God's always by my side. Can you maybe dive into that like a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I could tell you my freshman year, in college, you know, a lot of times as men, and I say that for all of us young men or me older and you, you younger men, a lot of us try to work sometimes from the outside in. You know, we try to um, make our bodies look better. We try to um, perform better for, for the crowd who's around us because we have something that's called pride. And so my freshman year in college, um, one of the things that, that I, truly, uh, I truly try to do, I tried to appease all the coaches. You know, I tried to make sure that they were happy with my performance. They, they tried to, I tried to make sure that, that I was doing everything right. And me being a Christian, um, you know, God truly showed me at that, that moment in time that if you're trying to do everything from the outside in, and I want to work from the inside out. So God had to, to take me and work from the inside out before he can truly give me uh, football, a game that I truly loved. And so, and I say that because a lot of times people think that, well, if you work hard, then yeah, you'll get what you want, but that's not true. You know, work, a lot of people work hard and does, they don't necessarily get what they want. It builds a lot of character uh, for one, but it also just teaches you what working hard means. And, and, it, and there's no guarantee with the hard work that comes with it. Right. So um, but God showed me through that process that only thing I could do was to do my part, which is to work hard and to trust him. And if I was able to do that, he was going to show me exactly what it was or that he wanted me to accomplish through this game called football. And and by him allowing me to to make it um, to the draft, which was unlikely for Mike Sterlock to do during that time, I ended up making it to the um, not to the draft, but to the combine and then from the combine to the draft and to the draft and to the NFL. So, you know, there, I think in all of our lives, we can kind of see God working and people may call it luck. I just call it fate. And it's, you know, God has his hand on us and he, he has it. He has the final, final um, 
final destination for all of us. And that's what I would encourage everyone to know and believe to say, listen, you do your part, no matter what, what it is that you're doing, whether, whether it's you drew and you in baseball or, or whether, whether it's somebody doing acting or somebody wants to be a doctor or an attorney, whatever it is, the only thing you can do is to do your part and be the best at it. And then God's going to take care of everything else and he'll place you exactly where he needs you. Sure. Yeah. So I kind of have a two part question um, coming off of that. Cause you mentioned the combine. Um, so when you were in the combine, did you ever have any interactions with Ty law who is now like a hall of fame defensive back? And then after that, I was reading um, your interview you did with the players trust. And I really like a quote that you had in there was you said you about talking about God. You said, you placed me here on earth for a reason. There has to be more that you want from me than athletics. It's more than money. It's more than most or it's more things than most people worry about. So in the second part of that question, because that led into you talking about how when you were in your house one day, somebody broke in and all of that, and then how you kind of grew up with the military and law enforcement. Was there ever an inkling through your whole entire life that you kind of knew you were going to head to that direction? Or did that just situation really just push you towards that direction? Well, uh, Ty Law, I answered that question for you. Uh, Ty Law had an opportunity to to um, go to the uh, combine with Ty, Ty Law. And I tell you, he didn't work out during that time because he, he had just that much uh, respect that he didn't have to work out during the combine. You know, a lot of the players were kind of envious, you know, but, but you felt like, you know, okay, if he's not going to work out, that might give me an edge up to – actually do better and to, to show the coaches that I may need to go before Ty Law. So, so I, I had an opportunity to, and I remember him having this big black leather jacket on and walking around, everybody saying that's Ty Law, but, but he ended up going on and being able to um, obviously be exactly what you said, you know, Hall of Famer and just being one of the best uh, NFL uh, uh, defensive backs to ever play in the game. Um, but also move it on to and your next your next question was the what was the next question? I'm, I'm sorry. I want to make sure I, I answer that one correctly as well. No, you're good. So I was reading your interview you did with the uh, Players Trust and you talked about um, how like the one day you came home and you heard like a rumble upstairs and there's a big guy like in your house, like breaking in and trying to rob you and everything. But then I also read how you did have like you said, your stepfather was in the military. You had law enforcement ties growing up. Were you ever leaning towards going law enforcement anyway, or did that situation really push you in that direction? Yeah, when I first started, uh, when I first uh, attended the University of Arizona, what I wanted to do is I wanted to go into criminal justice. And so I, I had a, a desire to go into that field. Some of the labs, obviously, you know, you guys probably know this, you're probably fresh out of college or maybe in college still, but one of the things that, that, that happens is when you're playing college collegiate sports, if you have labs that interfere with your practices or, or uh, maybe you, you can't get the scheduling correct or uh, proper to, to coordinate or fit with your practice schedule, then a lot of times you just have to drop either a certain class and then it just doesn't fit into the, um, into the degree that you want to accomplish. So, uh, but I've always wanted to go into law enforcement. I've always wanted to do ride alongs. I've always wanted to, I've always had a great deal of respect for law enforcement. Like I said, go, growing up in a law enforcement home, military background, and I've always had the desire. I've always had great working relationship with, with uh, law enforcement. So I knew that once I finished, you know, my athletic career that I wanted to at least give that uh, uh, an opportunity, a, a shot, but I didn't realize it was going to come in, 
on the hands of, you know, someone breaking into my house, which made me really think and say, this is what I've always wanted to go into anyway. This individual broke into my house. You know, I had an opportunity to, to get involved with all the detectives and the uh, law enforcement when this individual broke into my house. And so I knew at that moment, once I, you know, I, I had a chance to speak with so many different people in law enforcement and said, you know, this is my next venture. This is something I want to do. I've always wanted to do. And I chose to, to join the local uh, sheriff's department, York County Sheriff's Department, just as a volunteer. And uh, at some point in time, they'd asked me if I'd come on full time with them and uh, spent, you know, a couple of years as, as a, a deputy and then end up moving into a role as the PIO, the public information officer for the sheriff's department and, um, and enjoyed, enjoyed every bit of it. Yeah, I, uh, I have one more question, just kind of going, we have a few more minutes, so I have one more question. It's kind of like one thing from like, whether it be this interaction or the NFL or the days as a deputy, like what's one thing from like yourself or people that know you that you think best describes you? Like, like whether it be a definition of like character or just kind of like how you handle yourself? Um, well, I've, I feel that um, what you see, I think, with Mike Skurlock is what you get. I, you know, it's, I'm, if, if I say I'm going to do something, um, I'm going to do it. Um, you know, and I want people to, um, you know, and, and respect is something that's earned, right? Respect is not every, anything that's ever given to you, and I believe it's earned. And so, and I try to do that by uh, being, being a man of my word, um, and trying to lead a, a family and a home um, who is a reflection, and we're a reflection really of each other. You know, we want, we want to, I, don't, I wouldn't want anyone in our family to, to, you know, do something that's contradictory to what we believe in our home. Um, how we, I know that we all make mistakes, but I think um, with any, any, I think for most people, I think you want to be respected within the community and, and, like I said, respect comes with consistency on who you are as a person and not uh, compromising, um, you know, what you know is to be true and what is what you know is to be right um, and what is right. Um, so I would just I would think that that if I would want anyone to know anything about me is that if if I tell you I'm going to do something that um that I'm going to do it and that they can, you know, that I can be someone that, uh, that they can count on. Understood. Cool. So my last question for you is a little bit off topic from what we've been talking about. So I've seen, I'm super into golf. I've seen, you've been in quite a few celebrity uh, golf tournaments. It looks like in the local area. So one, how is your golf game? And two, I saw on one, you were in a tournament with people with the likes of Muggsy Bogues, but then also kind of the second question is Charles Johnson was in that and Damian Lewis, and those are some big guys. So how are some of those other guys' golf games that you've uh, played with or seen? You know, I think most of the guys that I play with, uh, their golf game stinks, just like mine. <laughs> you know, I don't have a golf game. Like, you know, I'm, 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 very, I'm very stiff off the drive. I have no putting game. I have no short game. I have – 
<laughs> Absolutely nothing. But I, you know, and and I get burned out after nine holes. You know, the bet my first nine are are way better than my than my second nine, I, and I can't even tell you what a good score is in golf. And so that just kind of shows you and tells you a little bit about my golf game. But you know, I, sometimes I like going. Sometimes I like going out just to kind of hang out with you know just. You know, especially my son and I will go out and, and we'll golf and do things. But, you know, top golf, you know, that's one of I, I love top golf. You know, I don't have to do a whole lot of moving around. I just stand in one place. I have a cool area and, you know, food food is there at, at my leisure. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I favor top golf more so than being out there on a golf course. Okay. Okay. Oh, and then I do have actually one more. Um, in practice, who was harder to go against, Steve Berline or Tony Banks? And then just kind of a quarterback in general you faced that always gave you a hard time. That was just tough to play against. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I had one tough quarterback that was tough to play against. I do know when I played against Steve Young and also Brett Favre, mm-hmm. um, those two quarterbacks during that time, you know, out. You know, when, when I played against Brett Favre, you know, here I was a rookie and I'm on defense and here he breaks for a scramble. And I think I, did, I, think I was more in awe that it, that was Brett Favre than it was for me to make the tackle. So, you know, I think anybody else probably would have felt like, you know, I don't, I'm going to knock this guy's head off. My opportunity to knock <laughs> Brett Favre's head off. And I, I, think I, was, I think I was more of a coddling, you know, uh, defensive back. And, and so I, I try to go up to tackle Brett Favre and, and I think, like I said, it's it's Brett Favre. I'm gonna hit Brett Favre, but he makes his move, and I I like grab, I like whiff at the air, you know, and, I, and he just runs <laughs> past me. And man, the same thing with with Steve Young. You know, I never got over. I think the the I was starstruck my rookie year more so than than being able to realize that we all are here to play the game and we all want to be at our very best. And so I had to get past the stardom first, being starstruck of playing against you know, some of the greatest quarterbacks ever played the game, Steve Young, Brett Favre, um, um, what was the, um, the Dan Marino, you know, some of these guys who you, you grew up watching or I grew up watching. And then, um, so, so for me, those, those were some of the ones who really, um, you know, stick out in my mind and me having an opportunity to play against. And, you know, Jim Kelly, I, I called it, caught an interception off of Jim Kelly and, and that will, you know, he's, he's a, he's a hall of famer and, you know, I got it. Mm-hmm. And that's something I get a chance to, you know, have claim to fame with. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And, and we appreciate you for coming on and spending yeah, thank some you time for with us on. today and talking to us about just life and football. We appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. And um, i tell you what, any, any time you guys need me, just let me know, but uh, I appreciate the work you guys are doing. You know, I think this is, uh, that speaks in volumes and, and you guys are highlighting a lot of uh, great things and, and pulling on people in the community and, and outside. And so appreciate all the work you guys are doing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Guys. Yes. 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 You guys have a good one. Take care. Once again, just wanted to thank Mike for coming on the podcast. It was an awesome interview. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And now into some NFL draft talk. We're going to head and we're going to talk about the NFL draft some because this is our first pod since the NFL draft happened. So full seven rounds are done. One and two went as expected. Um, three was a little bit of a switch up. Um, we may have called Trey Lance here, but you kind of really didn't know. It was a whole 50-50. So I guess what was your some of your just favorite picks or some picks that stood out to you? Um, the pick that stood out to me the most was uh, Jock 
And for those that don't know who Jock is, uh, it's Jeremy Awosu Koromoa mm-hmm. from Notre Dame fell to the second round. And I had done my research. I had looked at him and knew that he was a good player, but I didn't realize that he had a heart issue that would have yeah, backed him. Up I didn't, I didn't round. either until the so, end. So, I mean, yeah. you know, the Browns were taking him in the first round. They saw something else. They heard something else. I guess they felt confident that he may be there in that second round. And they got to hit on that. Um, another, I'll be honest with you, my, my favorite pick of the draft, like number one favorite pick is Trevor, or uh, not Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields to the mm-hmm. Bears. I think that was a pretty good pick. I mean, there's not too much that I can say that has already not been said. You know, I mean, He's just a great guy, great quarterback. They moved up to get him. They have two good backups now if he starts. Um, another pick that I like, too, is um, the, as much as I hate to say it, <laughs> the uh, Ravens getting Rashad Bateman was a yeah. good move for them, I believe, because that is something that switches up their offense a little bit, you know, gives – Lamar Jackson, the ability to be a thrower instead of a runner. Mm-hmm. What are uh, what are some of your top three pick? Yeah, so kind of like what you just said about Justin Fields. I think Chicago had a really good first and second round. They got Justin Fields. He's going to be their future franchise quarterback, who I like going to Chicago because he played at Ohio State. He played in the Big 12. So it's not like, say, he played in Georgia and he would have been in SEC weather for the last three years. He's played up at Ohio State in crappy northern weather. That's close to what Chicago is going to be. And so that's a very big plus because – I don't want to say Trevor Lawrence wouldn't have succeeded or anything if he went to Chicago, but that weather element, I think definitely would have played a toll on him because going to Clemson and playing in the ACC, you're not playing any cold weather, windy games like that. So I think that was good. And then they got, and then they got Tevin Jenkins from um, Oklahoma state. Who's going to be their starting right tackle this coming year. So they've already hopefully solved their quarterback position and then also already solved an offensive line issue that they had. And another pick that I liked was that um, Rashawn Slater dropped the 13th. A lot of people had Rashawn Slater as the number one offensive lineman on their board because Panay Sewell did not play last year. And the fact that the Chargers just got to sit back and wait until 13 to get Rashawn Slater, I thought was just an absolutely great pick. And then before I go to another pick I like, because this one was just a couple after that, you know, we talked about you never know what John Gruden's going to do. Dude takes yeah. Alex Leatherwood. He uses a projected second or third round offensive tackle out of Alabama. When I saw that, I was like, "Are you, every year he does this? He just he like tries to outsmart the room. It it doesn't. I just don't understand. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, it it never works because Cleveland Farrell, who we drafted like fourth overall a couple of years ago, is probably a season away from finding himself. I mean, he'll be in the league, yeah. but he's going to be a backup. He's not going to be a starter anymore. Um, but another pick kind of going back to the Chargers again was who they got in the second round, the cornerback Asante Samuel Jr., who a lot of people had as a late first round grade. They ended up getting him in the second round. I think the Chargers had a really good draft just in general. And then I also like what the Panthers did in this draft, starting off with J.C. Horn. Uh, Penny Sewell wasn't there, who was kind of the guy that had been rumored to go there for a while and the lines jumped up and took him. So they took a corner, which is their second, maybe even biggest need over offensive line. 
But then that Terrace Marshall Jr. pick at 59, I think, was huge. Terrace Marshall, besides some injuries, he would be one of the top three probably graded wide receivers. I mean, it's tough with Waddle, Smith, and Chase there. But if Marshall had healthy and everything and LSU was a better team last year, I think he probably would have been a top four wide receiver pick. So he's going to give Sam Darnold another big physical target. And then Carolina got Chubba Hubbard as well, who I'm super high on. A Chubba Hubbard, Christian McCaffrey backfield with Sam Darnold. And then you have Terrace Marshall and Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and David Moore too, who's not a scrub. That offense is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for the draft that they had. You know, I mean, it's something that stands out in yeah. my head for sure. Um, I kind of guess I want to turn it around on you and say your least favorite. Like, you're t- like you had to pick three of your least favorite picks from this draft. What would they be like? Like, that was dumb. Kind of you sat back and you're like, what are you doing? Picks. Yeah. Well, for, I mean, I kind of just said one, the Raiders pick. Didn't yeah, understand yeah, yeah. that. Don't think I'll ever really understand that, but that's just how it is. Um, Green Bay taking Eric Stokes, the cornerback out of G- uh, Georgia. I had him as the second best cornerback out of Georgia. And um, yeah, because yeah, Jacksonville took Tyson Campbell as the first pick in the second round, who I think is the better corner than Eric Stokes. And this is also right after Aaron Rodgers pretty much just told him to F off and he wanted to leave. And all they did was piss him off a little bit more. So I, I don't quite understand that one. Um, I don't think that was uh, too, too smart there. And then going to another pick, the 49ers taking Trey Sermon in the third round. Like, I understand what he was as a college running back, but we've seen Kyle Shanahan be able to just mix and match all types of different running backs, whether it's Matt Brina, Jared McKinnon, Raheem Mozart, and all of these guys that he uses are all undrafted. So I just don't really know why they were going to spend a third-round pick on a running back when Shanahan's already made pro bowlers out of undrafted running backs, like multiples on multiples of time, or if not pro bowlers, um, they've been like, absolute studs still so I didn't I didn't quite understand that one um it doesn't really match their philosophy but we'll just have to see because Sermon he was hurt I think late in that season too he didn't play in the college football playoff if um I remember right but those are kind of the two that stick out to me the most what about you um you know kind of looking back on it the Buccaneers taking Kyle Trask Mm mm-hmm I didn't hate, but I didn't love it. Um, I think there were some definite things about that that were like, okay, what are you, what are you doing that for? You know, mm-hmm. um, obviously he's coming to the end. Tom Brady is, but if you win another Super Bowl next year, you got to believe that he may be back again. Um, <laughs> And then, I, I don't know, I think Paulson Adebo, the quarterback out of Stanford, the Saints' third-round pick, was not one that I was in love with mm-hmm. just because I felt like there was still better corners left that could fit that scheme and that team better. Yeah. Um, but – while I'm on the Saints and I forgot this pick a minute ago, to be honest with you. So before you make that Ian book point, I want to play a game with you. 
um, if we think these quarterbacks are going to work out or not because there are, what, nine or ten quarterbacks drafted. So we are going to play a game of if we think this quarterback with the team that he is currently on will make the playoffs by 2026, so five years from now, will these quarterbacks make the playoffs by 2025? So first, Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville. Does Trev and the Jags make the playoffs by 2026? I say, oh, man, I say yes. (laughs) And the reason I say yes is because Tua didn't play all all 16 games last year, all 15 games, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, Trevor Lawrence is a little bit more talented and has a little bit more around him to be able to do that in his first season to win those six or seven games. So I think by 26 that the Jags do make the playoffs. Yeah, I do too. And I think it's just because of the division they're in as well. Um, Houston's just an absolute tire fire and disaster down there with what's happening with Deshaun Watson and rumors. He just may not be able to play in the NFL again if something happens. And even if Deshaun Watson does play, they have the worst like roster, like besides quarterback pretty much in the NFL and then the Titans, Derrick Henry is only has so many years as a running back to be the absolute stud that he is. And Ryan Tannehill is not a young pup either. So I don't know how much longer Tennessee is going to be as good as they are now. And Houston's just terrible. And the Colts are going to be there too. But as much as I like Carson Wentz, we still don't know if that's even going to work out. So I, I do think the Jags will probably make the playoffs by 2026. If they don't, Trevor Lawrence will probably be out of there by then anyway. So yeah. – Going to the next guy, Zach Wilson from the New York Jets, number two overall pick. Nope. <laughs> nope. But I think that's going to be the easiest one. <laughs> yeah, and to me, I say no, just due to the fact that I truly don't believe he was the second best quarterback in the draft. I don't believe that he's coming into a system that knows how to win right now. I don't think he has a system around him that has the ability to win enough football games to make that. And they have to make extreme leaps and bounds to be even competitive within the next six years. So to even push the playoffs in five is a lot. And I don't think if they could, if they couldn't do it with Sam Darnold who had a big time arm, the ability to win games won at USC and was known to win games, I don't think you can do it with a guy that couldn't beat Coastal Carolina. Yeah, a lot of people said, because when it was the whole, should they trade Sam Darnold and draft Zach Wilson, or what should they do? A lot of scouts are saying they would have had Sam Darnold as the second best quarterback in this draft, right behind Trevor Lawrence. So like what you said, if Sam Darnold couldn't get it done, I don't think Zach Wilson does. Even though it's a new coach and the GM's relatively new, um, they're out of the Adam Gase era. I don't think they do either. I just don't have any faith in the Jets. They've never really seemed to be able to figure it out. And like you said about Zach Wilson, I mean, he lost to Coastal. He's never beat a Power 5 team when he was in college. The one year he did really good, it's because they didn't play a Power 5 team and had a relatively weak schedule. They played a bunch of mid-major schools. And then we've talked about before, Mormon, small-town Utah, coming to the biggest market in America, New York. I don't think he's going to yeah. be able to handle it. So, yeah, I would go we with. Hope, uh, we just hope that Chris Sims doesn't hear this. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not <laughs> trying to disrespect the guy either, and Zach Wilson. Like, I'm not wishing bad against anybody, but I just yeah, don't no, think. No, no. Yeah, I just don't think it's going to work. 
So now we're going to San Francisco and trade Lance. Do they make the playoffs within the next five years? Uh, uh, I say no. And the reason I say no is there's almost too much there now. Uh-huh. I think he's used to being, like you said, the mid-major uh, North Dakota State. You got to put your team on your back. You got to be the glory boy. You got to be able to get out of the pocket and run for 40 yards at a time. You basically have to be Lamar Jackson. And when you're in San Francisco with the team that they have built from top to bottom, defense, offense, all three running backs and all five receivers on their roster can go catch the ball and score touchdowns. And I think it's going to be a lot, a lot of pressure on Trey Lance to produce immediately. So I don't know if he's going to be able to get it done. Now, I think he has the ability to in the team around him, but I'm not 100% confident in that. Yeah, I think they do make the playoffs in the next five years with him. Um, when you've seen Ryan or Jimmy Garoppolo healthy, they went to a Super Bowl. But the, all the years besides that, he's been in San Francisco. He's missed six or more games, which is a lot of games to miss consistently for a starting quarterback. And I think Trey Lance <clears throat> has a better arm. Um, he's obviously more athletic than Jimmy G. And I just I'm a believer in that Kyle Shanahan system. So I think they will make the playoffs, but it'll definitely be interesting to see how the guy with that much talent, well, it was in the FCS, but to see how he does in the NFL. So then going to the next quarterback who I know we're both extremely high on, Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. Yeah. Playoff run in it. the next five years. Yeah. I think I give it three years, maybe even if Aaron Rodgers is gone, years. maybe even less. Yeah, I mean, but he has, to me, the potential that is not even quite to the brim yet because we saw him start a year in four games, five games, um, and was just an absolute monster, you mm-hmm. know? I think that there's still – he was the fourth quarterback taken, the number 10 pick overall – and people 11. Are, or 11 overall. Yeah, that's right. And people did that off of just his potential, yeah. not pure everything else, but his potential that he has. He's fast. He's strong. He knows how to throw the football. He knows how to get out of the pocket. So to me, I think it's, it's a golden time for them to add one more piece around him and put Darnell Mooney in that slot, go get another receiver And I think that you can have a good team there to run the table over there. Yeah, kind of like what you said. I don't even think we've really scratched the surface on what we see from Justin Fields. Well, I think Trevor Lawrence off the bat is going to be the best quarterback out of it. I think maybe two or three years from now, it'll be Justin Fields. Yeah. Um, And I mean, that's just what I think. I think they'll make the playoffs. I think Aaron Rodgers is gone out of Green Bay. I don't think he'll be there this season. And nobody believes in Minnesota, including me. Um, the yeah. Detroit Lions are totally just rebuilding, so they're not making the playoffs. They're making a push, and then the Bears have the best defense, and their running backs aren't awful. I mean, they have David Montgomery, who's not shabby, and if Aaron Rodgers is out of Green Bay, I don't see anybody stopping them. <clears throat> so yeah, I would definitely go with them making the playoffs in the next five years. So yeah. now, what might be the most interesting quarterback drafted and where he went in the entire draft is Mac Jones in the New England Patriots with Mac Jones as the starter yeah, yeah, make they, the playoffs. They make yeah. They do. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think I think that there's there's an over under right now on them winning nine and a half games and I take the over on that 
10 times out of 10 if he's the starter, if, if Mac Jones is the starter. And the reason for that is I think with this pick, I think you boost everyone around him. Mm-hmm. You know, like last year, your, tie, your new tight ends that you just draft or just signed both had a rookie running back and Ryan Tannehill. So both of them are coming from offenses that did not rely on them a ton, right? Well, Mac Jones has always relied on those big receivers. Now that he doesn't have those, he has big tight ends. So I think Mac Jones is going to excel and make Nikhil Harry's career somewhat productive. I think he helps Nikhil Harry's career turn around. I think he finds a way to get Hunter Henry probably double-digit touchdowns in the first half of the season next year. Um, I think that they make the playoffs within five for sure. Yeah, I do too, but – this year especially, I'm really interested to see how they do the whole Cam Newton, Mac Jones, like just relationship. Who's going to start? If one of them's bad at the beginning of the season, are they just going to ride that person out? Are they going to switch it up? Could they maybe run like a college like dual quarterback system, putting in Cam and some running schemes like that Josh Allen um, shotgun single backfield we've talked about? That's unstoppable. Maybe using Cam like that a little bit. Yeah, um, I, I hear you. Yeah, it's just it's going to be extremely interesting to see how this works out. But I do think Mac Jones and the Patriots, because we know that we'll make it in the next five years, because we know that Patriots defense is always going to be good, even if it's not big names. Belichick's going to get the best out of them. And, and there was a lot of there was a lot of opt outs last year. I was going to say you have Hightower coming was, back, who's a baller. That was kind of missed, I think, last year. And I think everybody in the sports community has kind of crapped on Cam Newton. I still think Mac Jones should be the starter, even. Before Cam Newton's last season, you take that out of it. I, th- I still think Mac Jones should be the starter. But there was a lot of opt-outs last year. There's a lot of people that weren't around Cam Newton. So I think that that's kind of where it changes to me. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to see what – not because I like the Patriots or want them to be good, but just because I'm interested to see what happens. So Yeah, yeah. So now we skip like 35, 40 picks down the board to the very last pick in the second round, which you kind of just touched on a bit a few minutes ago. But does Kyle Trask, as the starter of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, make the playoffs? I think in the next five years. I think with Kyle Trask at the at the realm, I obviously think they go back this year with Tom Brady. Oh yeah. But after after Tom Brady, I don't think they go back. I agree a hundred percent. And the reason why for that is Kyle Trask to me kind of had the mentality that. And I'm, I'm okay to say this, I feel like, because we're past it a little bit. Trevor Lawrence's junior year, when he just – or maybe it was his second year, when he just kind of threw the ball up, his numbers were down. Yeah, Kyle Trask threw for 4,000 yards, but he also had Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. I was going to say he had, two. he had two first-round weapons, yeah. Yeah, they just could go get the football. So, to me, I think you start running out of that, you know. You start throwing up to guys, and they're – those DBs are going to go get it. You know, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You can't do that. And I think that's Matt, and I think that that's Kyle Trask's offense is just throw the ball up and hope they go get it. And that's not going to work in the NFL. Yeah. And if we just really just pay attention to Tampa Bay's history, they are not ever a consistently good team. They were terrible. John Gruden showed up. They won a Super Bowl and they are relevant for four years. And then they've been extremely irrelevant again for 20 years until Tom Brady got there last year. 
And Chris Godwin was franchise tag. So he's a free agent after this year. And if Tom Brady retires, unless him and Trask get buddy-buddy, I don't see him <laughs> re-signing. I just – and then Evans, he's 20 – he'll be 28 this coming season. He's locked up for a while, so he'll be there. But it's a lot of one- and two-year guys. Like, because it's pretty much – it's just a team full of a bunch of mercenaries, essentially, that have come and signed, like, one- to two-year deals. Like, Ndamukong Sue is not going to be there. Vita Vey is not going to be there. Levante David, while he's still good, is not young at all. Like, he's – probably i think around year 13 14 right now as a yeah, linebacker he's, 30, he's gonna be 32 next season yeah so i don't see them making the playoffs i think they'll just kind of and i think bruce arians is going to retire too whenever tom brady decides to retire because he knows he ain't winning anything without tom brady there so <laughs> yeah i don't have them winning either so then now we just skip ahead one pick and kellen mon kind of a surprise pick to the minnesota nope. vikings nope no he doesn't make it. I don't. I'm not even gonna dig into this. I think this is a terrible pick. Should have waited till the sixth round to draft him. He's a career long backup. You're looking at a Nick Foles or a Ryan Finley, and this was just a waste of a pick that you could go get a weapon or a defensive lockdown to help Kirk Cousins try and make the playoffs in that division that is weak, and you didn't do it. And I, I don't think they make the playoffs mostly because Kellen Mond isn't a true stud quarterback to me. I don't believe in him at all. It's tough. I don't know. Um, well, cause well, the, other, sure the other, the other thing too is most likely by the time that he steps in and is a starter, Adam Thielen most likely will be gone, whether yeah, he retires it, or leaves. Yeah. It's going to be Justin Jefferson. will definitely be like the number one there. And we'll have to see what happens to Adam Thielen, but I don't know. This is a tough one. For me, because he definitely showed flashes at Texas A&M, like his 2018 year. Um, he had a great year, 3,100 yards, 24 touchdowns, 135 quarterback rating. But he never got A&M over that hump. And with a coach like Jimbo Fisher and the recruiting and the facilities and everything Dude, that, that was, A&M has, they should have the, been a they should have the been a perennial Jimbo Fisher team ever. Yeah, they should have been a perennial top 10 team every year with the roster that Kellen Mond had there. Yeah. And they didn't. The only reason I'm hesitant to shoot it down is kind of like what we just talked about with the Bears. Jordan Love has shown nothing. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, is gone. So I don't think the Packers are going to be good. The Lions yeah. are still going to suck. So yeah. maybe they could figure something out that way or Fields is a bust. But I think I'm going to go with you and say no on Kellen Mond. And yeah. I'm sure you saw the report that they were going to draft uh, Justin Fields if Chicago didn't jump up in front of him and take it. Yeah, so, that would have been a good job, I think. I think yeah. that would have been a surprise, but a good pick. But the other thing, like you said, that with the A&M, he had a, an all-SEC or all-conference, whatever you want to call it. He yeah. had a player at that position, at a position at least once every year that he was at A&M and could yeah. not do anything with it. Yeah, for sure. So – We'll have to see. I don't know. I think, like you said, it was a bit of a stretch. But oh, what was yeah. a bigger? Yeah. What was a bigger stretch though? Kellen Mond going sixty six, or Houston taking Davis Mills out of Stanford at sixty seven? And do they wow, make the playoffs? In that was freaking years? dumb. <laughs> that was freaking dumb. I'm gonna be honest with you. They, oh, that was terrible. David Mills does not lead them to anything over seven wins. Um, mostly because he who's he gonna throw the ball to? Who's going to catch exactly. it? Um, I just don't think that they're going to be a successful team. And I don't blame David Mills 
personally, I don't think that it is necessarily all fall on him because if you look at Deshaun Watson this year, threw for 4,000 yards with Will Fuller and they didn't make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think five years is an extremely, extremely short time period for them to even be relevant or good again if David Mills is at the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, there's not too much to say about it. I agree with everything you said. Um, in his two years starting, 11 touchdowns, five picks, 2019, seven touchdowns, yeah. three picks this last year. Didn't throw for over 2,000 yards in either of his two seasons as a starting quarterback. I just don't see it. I understand you probably had to get a quarterback because you don't know what's going to happen to Deshaun Watson, but yeah, I'm but not at least, buying it. At least get a better one. Yeah, well, they do have Tyrod Taylor, <laughs> too, who will get him through a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so, but somebody somehow he, he'll get screwed over because he always does. <laughs> There's not – you look up screwed over in the dictionary, Tyrod Taylor's got to yeah, be Ty, there. It's, it's literally just Tyrod Taylor. I mean, who gets their lungs punctured yeah, by the team doctor? <laughs> you know, and that's unfortunate. Is that but, just a sign to retire at that point after you honestly, keep Buffalo it, replaced you, Cleveland replaced you, then you go to L.A., they replace you, and you get your well, lungs punctured? Well, the thing is, too, maybe, maybe David Mills is a, is a sign here, though. Like, think about it. Think about the four te- the three teams you just said, and then their quarterbacks the year after or the year yeah. of. Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, and Justin Herbert. All of them won conference or team awards the next season. So Davis Mills certified stud in the next two to three years. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, because Tyrod Taylor is not going to play because the younger guy is going to get better if we look at history. So, yeah, okay. Texans okay. are going to the yeah. playoffs in the next year. <laughs> <laughs> 2023, it's our year, baby. <laughs> yeah, no, Davis Mills and that team will not be going to the playoffs. Nah, so, nah, I don't think so. Going to what was interesting because they already have Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. I didn't, I love pers- this. I didn't see them like, yeah, I'm not going to say I don't like the pick, but it just surprised me. I wasn't ready for it. 133, round four, New Orleans Saints take Ian Book. Will they make the playoffs? Yeah, I say yes. Ian Book. I say yes. Because Ian Book is, I wouldn't say a franchise guy at 135, 130 something, but he is their guy. You know, and it may not be next year. It may not be the year after, but I think he's going to learn a lot in the next year and a half because Jameis Winston plays a very different style than Taysom Hill. But I think Ian Book is the combo of both of them. I think Ian Book is very – I think think Ian Book has a very good arm like Jameis Winston, but I also think he has the scrambling ability. We saw it when they played Clemson. And and take take Trevor Lawrence not being in the game out of it. Ian Book still had a fantastic game. Um, Ian Book did not play awful against Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um – but I think that that's kind of the way I see it is that they just got a blended version of Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. And I think they're going to be able to teach him something in this next season to start possibly that 2022 or 2023 season and win them a playoff game. Yeah, I'm going to go with no, just because I'm a Jameis. I still got some Jameis Winston stock. I think he'll be their starting quarterback still in five years. Nothing because I don't think Ian Buck's not good enough or can't make it just because I still a believer is it's kind of embarrassing saying it out loud, but still kind of a believer in Jameis Winston. And After you get the eyes fixed, it's pretty good to believe in him, you know? Yeah. So I would just say no, not literally has nothing to do with Ian book just because I think Jameis Winston's going to be the starting quarterback still in five years. And so now the last quarterback, which kind of just buffled me too. I didn't understand. 
Uh, the Colts taking around six, Sam Ellinger out of Texas when they just traded for Carson Wentz. And last year they drafted Jacob Eason, who has more of has a better arm and just is a better overall prospect, in my opinion, than Sam Ellinger. Ellinger has kind of got like that Baker Mayfield build. Like he's not big, a little bit athletic, a little bit of like fire, just kind of a chippy type of player. But I didn't really understand that pick. I, um, I think the pick is a valid pick. I don't think it was a good pick there. And I'm not a huge Sam Ellinger believer. Yeah, I think no. that if I were his agent or his parents or advising him in any way, I would have told him to stay and play another year because he's a very talented guy, but in a draft where everybody is just a little bit more talented than you, if you wait a year, you're competing with, who Spencer Rattler and some guys that are not as competitive or as good as this draft class that we just saw. So I think you could make one more money into a bigger splash with getting drafted higher. So to me, I would have told him to wait. So I don't think he makes it in the next five. Yeah. And he only, I don't think he will either. And if you just look at his completion percentage of the last four years, when he was a freshman, he was at 57 and a half. And then he picked it up to 64 and 65 his sophomore junior year. And then he dropped back down to 60.2%. That's just not going to cut it in the NFL is completing 60% of your passes. So, yeah, I didn't understand the pick. I don't really like it. I don't think – I think Carson Wentz is going to work, so I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs. But it'll just be interesting to see what happens between him and Jacob Eason because I like Jacob Eason a lot better as a prospect, but – it doesn't really matter yeah. now anyway because they have Carson Wentz, who's only, what, 25, I think? Yeah. Maybe yeah, 26. So yeah. that's why I just didn't really understand those picks. But so do you have any last words on the NFL draft? Um, yeah, I do. Being a Steelers fan, <laughs> after the 24th pick that you guys had of Najee Harris and the comparisons that he has drawn to Derrick Henry and – some other big names. Do mm-hmm. you think that's the piece that turns you into a competitive team? And I'm not saying that you were uncompetitive. Obviously, last year you won 10 and 11 you were undefeated for a while, or 11 and 0, and then, but you got blown out in that playoff game. You got embarrassed a little bit. Do you think that this is the key that kind of brings a little bit of calm and helps in the future? Yeah, first off, we got embarrassed a lot, probably more than embarrassed than I've been in my yeah, life. Yeah. Second of all, no, the Steelers, I don't think, are going to be any good because they drafted who Chris Sims had as the fourth best running back in the first <laughs> round. So for that reason, I think we're probably going to go like 2-15 and 15 oh, this year. No, I'm kidding. Chris Sims is an idiot. <clears throat> like I said before, you said it plenty of times. We're not going to get into it, but I just wanted to put that out there because I don't think we said it on the yeah, podcast. Chris, Chris, Chris Sims, Sims had Najee Harris as his fourth best running back in the draft. Okay, pal. Um, he's, he's awful. The only reason yeah, but, he has a job evaluating talent is because his dad played football. It was really good. Yeah. So I love the pick. I think that's what they should have done. Um, they finally kind of fixed the offensive line a little bit. They got an alignment in the third round and the fourth round, and they got another one, I think, later in the draft, too. <clears throat> so I'm relatively happy with the Steelers draft. The offensive line, I think, is still going to be the weakest part of the whole entire roster because we know the defense is going to be top five in the league, and now you've got weapons of Ben, 
Najee Harris, um, the tight end they drafted out of Penn State, uh, Pat Vermouth, and then you still have Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Washington, Deontay Johnson on the outside. Um, so I like a lot what they did with Najee. I'm just hoping – I think his talent will be able to overcome the lesser offensive line that we have right now, but we'll just have to see. But I was happy with the way the draft work got been a few more weapons, and who knows okay. if if Najee Harris can become like that kind of back with Benny Snell back there too, who's going to be a good like change of pace guy. Who knows? Ben might be able to play another season after next year if he's not having to throw the ball 35 times a game and they're being able to give it to Najee Harris more. So I'm happy with it. Something I'm not happy about, though, is Andrew Villanueva signing with the Ravens yesterday. I mean, screw you, dude. I mean, hey, he's excited. The, he's excited to play. He came out with a statement. And said he's You've been in the trenches the with Pittsburgh for so many years now, and then you go and sign a two-year in Baltimore. I can't wait for TJ Watt just to eat up on you continuously this coming season. So, how do you like the Bengals draft? I, uh, I, uh, I like it. And the reason why I say that is I think we addressed the three big needs. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the receiving core, we've, had always, we've always had one and two. Last year was the first year we had one, two, and three pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And then we needed another guy, another big name, another guy that can help Burrow. And I believe that we got that. Um, I think with taking Joseph Joseph Asai in the third round, we had yeah. him going in the first round in our mock draft just last yeah. week. And I, that I, was I loved that. I loved that. And I think it's uh, also funny that we drafted um, Captain America, Chris Evans, mm-hmm. uh, running back out of Michigan in the fourth <laughs> round. <laughs> but I mean, that was funny because I didn't even know that was going to even happen. You know, we were talking about Trey Sermon, like you were saying, that's who we were going to take in that fourth or fifth round, the running back to kind of fill that Giovanni Bernard spot. And I Mm -hmm. think we did that fantastically. Um, But I I mean, I think there's a lot of room to grow. Obviously I think our O-line is still questionable, but I think another, another piece being added is huge. and I think there's a lot of moving around and a lot of great things that could come this year after that draft with adding Jamar Chase and comfortability factor for <laughs> Joe Burrow. But the last thing, the last thing I want to ask before moving into the MLB a little bit is give me the biggest pick that was your sleeper pick, like your biggest sleeper pick. So my biggest sleeper pick, ooh, that's good. So there's obviously a few that you got to think about, but – Okay, so my biggest sleeper pick, I think I would say, um, if I go offensively on this one, I really like Deami Brown, the wide receiver out of North Carolina, falling to the third round, going 82 to the uh, Washington football team. I think he's going to pair really well with uh, McLaurin over there and Curtis Samuel. I think that's going to create a really good trio over there. I was I was pretty high on that pick for sure. So that was probably the guy who I would have as one of my bigger picks. But then also I think Michael Carter going to the Jets, the running back in the fourth round, another UNC guy. I'm not trying to just pick UNC guys here, but I think they're two really good players. Michael Carter had a second, third round grade for a lot of these scouts, and he ended up falling that low. So I think that was also a good pick. And then just because I kind of have to, 
Shamar Jean Charles out of App State going in the fifth round to Green Bay. He, he was really good in the games that we had with him and games that he played. So we'll have to see if he can figure it out in that next level. But just keep an eye out on him. What about you, Drew? Um, the biggest one that comes to me is the Quinn Mirnez. Mm-hmm. So the Broncos actually traded down to get him at 98. And the reason that I say it's a little bit of a sleeper and like a surprise pick is because I would have expected a guy that big, that size with that much aggression and raw talent to go higher than the third round. You know, I had Quinn as a mid to early second round draft pick because of his size and his talent at only being a two-year starter I think that you know I think playing division three football hurt him a little bit but he was a three-time all-american and only started two years yeah so I think that kind of showed me that the guy's a grinder he's a competitor and he can get it done Uh uh-huh but that's why I say Quinn Mirnez yeah oh and then I don't know if how much of the sleeper you consider this. It was in the fourth round. I totally forgot about this because I already touched on it earlier. Chubba Hubbard falling all the way to the fourth round. I think he's going to be really good. See, I think I him and Christian like, McCaffrey are going to work awesome personally. I'm not a huge Chubba Hubbard believer, but I don't think he's going to be terrible. And I'm going to say a biased one also is Shy Smith. I was just about to ask you that. I don't know who that I mean, is, but the Panthers drafted him. I was That was well, the next thing coming out of my mouth is who is Shy Smith? Shy Smith is a very, very good pick to me for Carolina. And the reason that I say that that's a, a fantastic pick is because he got to learn under a lot of – good receivers that we had come out before him. He had um, Brian Edwards, Devo. So, I mean, he knows how to do everything in the game of football. You know, I mean, he had outstanding numbers at USC. So, I mean, I like the guy. I think he's going to be a very, very good competitor. I think he adds a little bit of a different edge to the Panthers than what they're used to because it's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder now and he Mm -hmm. wants to be the guy that comes in and makes a difference from that deep round and just kind of show off a little bit yeah yeah so we'll have to see how these guys all turn out um it'll be exciting to see these guys on the field obviously especially the quarterbacks seeing what like we said what fields can do jones can do lawrence lance wilson i think it's always most exciting to see what these young quarterbacks can do so now going over into baseball i guess we're going to start off talking about two teams that have had two two reversals in two totally different ways so the yankees are 7 and 3 in their last 10 and now at 15 and 14 and the dodgers are 2 and eight in their last 10 and now it's 17 and 14. So you can talk about whichever one you want first, but first of all, what's going on with the Dodgers? And I guess also are the Yankees finally figuring it out? I think the Yankees are figuring it out for the immediate future. I don't know if that's there to stay, but I think they have figured out something for right now. Uh, And I think that's the same for the Dodgers. On the other hand, I think they're just lost it for the time being. 
because mm-hmm. we know that they are a good team. We know that they know how to win games. We know that they're going to be there at the end, uh, still pushing in the fight. So I wouldn't think too much into the two and eight skid right now. I yeah, think another another big boost to the Yankees win streak, or the, not the win streak, but the seven and three over the last ten is that Aaron Judge has an eleven game hit streak mm-hmm. going right now, and I think that that's huge to get production from a guy like that. Yeah, I think it's also been because Giancarlo Stanton's hitting two ninety seven on the year now after hitting around pretty much 100 for uh, most of the season so far. So I think him turning that around has been absolutely huge because that was one of the big things we were talking about. He wasn't doing anything, like literally anything. And now he's kind of caught fire and he hit, what, two or three home runs in a game just the other night. So he's definitely figuring some things out over there, which I think is huge. And if you kind of look in general, the batting averages are up a little bit. And while they're not great, they're up. Gary Sanchez is still hitting 180, which isn't good. And Odor is hitting 164. He's hurt now anyway, but it doesn't matter. But Gio Ushurla is hitting 274 now, which is decent, but it's better than the 230 he was hitting just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Clint Frazier is still hitting 143 and can't do anything. But like you said, the hitting streak with Aaron Judge, and I think John Carlos Stanton getting hot and hitting 297 has just been really big for this team. Yeah. Yeah, it has been. Um I kind of want to touch on something that happened today with a guy that in a team that nobody really expected it to happen with, but John means a no hitter today, which is outstanding for the Orioles. You know I mean? That's good for them. Bring some good, uh, some good publicity in finally. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think that that's something that they needed, you know, and get a little bit of momentum and be excited to play baseball tomorrow, you know? Yeah. And if you look at what he's done so far this year, I mean, he's three and O as a starter, he's pitched 37 innings. Uh, He's only let up seven earned runs with an ERA of 1.7 and 38 strikeouts, 38 strikeouts and 37 innings. Isn't bad at all. That's obviously over a strikeout. Yeah. Yeah, who needs Trevor Bauer in a $160 million contract when you can just have John Means on his rookie deal still? Yeah, you can pay John Means $25 in a Taco Bell gift card, or you can pay <laughs> Trevor Bauer $160 million. What are you going to do? <laughs> Definitely rocking with the, yeah, the Taco John Bell Means. gift card. Yeah, although yeah. he may he – may, he may – Try and get Chick-fil-A, and you just can't do that. That's too much to ask for. But uh, another thing that I kind of wanted to touch on, just because we haven't brought it up, and I think it's kind of something that I like to talk about and want to talk about, is now that we're closing near and near the College World Series, the draft prospects start to come out mm-hmm. for the MLB. And I'm very excited to kind of start talking about that too, because I love the way that Major League Baseball grades their prospects on the 2080 scale. Yeah. Um, I think that's the coolest thing. Uh, I think that's the best way to do it personally. But I mean, Jack Leiter's the number one prospect with the 60 overall rating. And then the top uh, four prospects are all 60s, which 
is a very, very good thing to see, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and then they've actually come out with a slight mock draft. And the first five picks are actually kind of exactly where you would expect. Um, the Pirates are supposed to take Jordan Lawyer. Uh, a Dude, I was, I was just about to say – Dude, the Pirates have drafted so many shortstops in the last five years. If they yeah, draft another shortstop, I, I don't even know what I would do. They yeah, have I don't know why they would do that when you have the ability to draft one of the game's best future pitchers in either lighter or rocker. Yeah, well, because they already or, have Cole Tucker up in the MLB along with Aaron Gonzalez and yep. Kevin Newman, and Kevin Newman's a good hitter, like a consistent hitter. And they yep. drafted O'Neill Cruz just a few years ago. They have mm-hmm. Livio Paguero down there, like. Dude, they have well, the like other, five or six options down there. There is no the reason to draft another shortstop. Two is if you draft a third baseman and Cabrian Hayes is doing well, Cabrian Hayes can play short. You know, yeah. we've seen that. I would just I would I would just get a pitcher. I I think we need Oh yeah, pitcher. I would definitely suggest just taking a pitcher or start solidifying an outfield. But with that first pick, it's not like MLB where you get a couple of more <laughs> and they are are just as good. I think that if I'm you, I would take Jack Leiter out of Vandy. Uh, yeah. Number two prospect in the number two um, mock draft is Jack Leiter. Uh, the number three is Marcelo Mayer, uh, a shortstop out of Eastlake High School to the Tigers. Mm-hmm. And the Red Sox have four who are supposed to take Kumar Rocker, which I'm going to go out on a limb. And I know that this is something that may sound kind of outrageous, but – I'm going to start the comparison train now and not size, not build, but ability and way he moves the ball, way he controls himself and compare Kumar. If he plays in a Red Sox jersey to Pedro Martinez. Um, and then another of the top five is Orioles Brady House, another shortstop out of Winderboro High School in Georgia. And it surprises me a little bit that Henry Davis from Louisville is not in the top five. Though he is number six, I would have had him in the top five, probably at that three spot to the Tigers or to the four spot to the Red Sox. Just due to the fact that three, the Tigers don't have a solidified young catcher. They have Wilson Ramos and Grayson Griner are both up there right now. And I love Grayson Griner, played at USC, watched him for a while, but he just has not been able to get it done. And Wilson Ramos is like 47 years old. Um, but, uh, another Red Sox is just the fact that they are always seem to be in a, a revolving door of catchers, Yeah, you know, and, and I don't think that the Orioles need another one because they just drafted Adley Rutschman two years ago, who is yeah. still going to be a top catcher. Um, but it just surprises me because in a down year where everybody in college baseball is like hitting less and less, Henry Davis's split is 403 batting average, 520 on base, and a 683 slugging per, um, yeah, slugging percentage. Mm-hmm. He has 29 walks and 19 extra base hits, and only 15 strikeouts all year. So, to me, I don't know how you can have him as the sixth best, best prospect, and his arm is outstanding. We'll yeah. always we'll have one of the best arms of anyone in this draft, and they graded his arm at a 70. So I think that that's a, a really a really strange place to have him at six. But, I mean, I kind of 
I guess my question is, do you have any kind of input words, anything you have on that? Yeah, I was actually just about to say the next guy they have going, Khalil Wilson, um, out of Wake Forest. My roommate, shout out Taylor upstairs right now. He went to Wake Forest High School um, in Raleigh area. But I think he's going to be very interesting because as a high school player, he's still got a lot to prove because of COVID. The North Carolina baseball season hasn't even started yet. Like where I went to high school at Olympic, I think they've played one game, if that, so far. I'm really not 100% sure. But I know they just had tryouts a week and a half ago. So he's still got a lot to prove. And he could definitely fly up and maybe take over Brady House at number five if he pops off and has a really good season because he literally hasn't started his season yet. So I I think he's maybe out of all the guys in the top ten, he's kind of got like the biggest like – I don't know if this is the right way to use this, but like volatation, like he can move up or he can move down. It's just, he hasn't played his senior year yet. So we don't really know. Yeah, no, I agree. And, I, and another one that I think kind of the same way that could move up or could move down that they have closer to the top is the, hold on. I just had it. If I'm not wrong. Yeah, here it is. Is Bubba Chandler. Mm-hmm. And he's, the 22nd in the country right now playing in North uh, Osini, Georgia, committed to Clemson. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, he doesn't, doesn't draw great regard at the shortstop position, but is a decent pitching prospect at only 18 years old. So, I mean, I think that that's something that I would look into. I think it's very, very interesting to see, where he may end up and James Wood also is somebody that I would look out for. And in a year that, you know, there's a lot of outfielders that are on the downslide that are hurt, that are getting old. Yelich is hurt. Bellinger is hurt. You know, there's guys on the out all the time. I think Sal Frelick from Boston college is an interesting one to watch out for and watch teams kind of, Maybe fight over him if he doesn't go right where we expect him to go. Uh-huh. Yeah, and another thing for this draft, too, which I'm happy for as, like, a baseball fan and for the players. Last year, because of COVID, they only had a five-round MLB draft. So there were a lot of guys that typically would have been drafted that just didn't get that opportunity. That's so awesome and what you work for so hard in your life to get drafted. And granted, the draft is still, like, a, a lot of times smaller this year than it was before at a hundred and something rounds. They did move it up to 20 rounds this year, which I'm happy for the players. Cause like I said, a lot of those guys should have been drafted last year, but weren't because there were only five rounds. So only the best of the best really got drafted compared to where now there's going to be a lot more guys drafted, get to go through those awesome experiences. And I think it helps the teams too, because the more people you draft odds are more of them are going to work out compared to if you only get to draft like five or six players on your team. Cause in baseball with the way it works, you've got, 40 men roster on what like seven different levels of teams you got like low a high a you've got like yeah you have the class a ball the rookie ball yeah you've got like puerto rican puerto rican leagues going on like you have teams all over the place you want to get as many players as you can and i just don't think it was fair to only have five rounds last year so i'm excited for 20 i think i kind of touched on it a couple weeks ago and maybe uh, with only 20 rounds again this year, the indie ball leagues may start up being uh, a highly valued thing again. Yeah. Because if you can't get drafted in those top 20, there's always another place for you to go play that 
a major league team will find you and give you a contract. Yeah. Kind of talking to indie ball is not something to mess around about. Yeah. Talking about independent leagues, the pioneer league, I'm sure you saw this. They are now doing extra inning games by like uh, essentially home run derby at the end. What do you think about that? I personally don't like it. See, I think, I think it adds a, a fun part of a, of a league that isn't, you know, and I don't want to say taken seriously, but like part of, making a solidified league is bringing fans in. And the biggest thing in baseball right now is the home run. So I think at least for a season or two to bring fans in, that's a rule that they need to have. Do I agree with the rule or want it to be there? No, but I think there's a reason for it, you know, and that's, I'm okay with it for the time being. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just not a big fan. You can call me an old head or anything, but I personally just, I I think it's too much trying to just make a, home run derby at the very end of the game. I, I don't quite know how I feel about that. Um, another thing I want to touch on and ask you about, I don't know if you have had a chance to play or see the MLB The Show 21 um, come out the other, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and actually the, the funniest part about the game that happened today is the player of the month was announced today. And I don't know if you could guess, but I want you, before I tell you, to give me the two people or three people in your mind that you think could have been April's player of the month before I tell you who MLB The Show gave it to. Oh, gosh. I've seen a little bit of it. Um, I personally didn't buy it yet, but my roommate who has an Xbox, it came with Game Pass, so we've been playing it on there. And so he kind of got it for free, but he never played baseball. So it's pretty funny if you just throw him curveballs and sliders, you can't <laughs> touch a thing. I'm trying to teach him if it's going to start, if it's a breaking ball starting in the zone, it's going to end up outside of the zone. And if it starts like inside or up, it's going to finish in the zone. He's yeah, still trying to co- tell him it's okay. I still struggle with that when it's a video game. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for the AL, I think you got to go Mike Trout just because he's the only player left in the MLB hitting over 400. And he's still just going off. And then, I don't know. I mean, I think you still just kind of got to go with Ronald Acuna still balling out in the NL. But from the way that you set this up, I feel like I'm wrong on both of those. And it was probably people that didn't really deserve to be players of the month. Um, So the way that they do it in the Diamond Dynasty is they give you the couple of cards that you have to work up to. And there's three major cards. And then there's the one lightning card that they call the player of the month. And they actually gave it to Byron Buxton for the month oh, of April. Come on. So I thought that you would like to know that just so you could be aware that you're the only one player <laughs> of the month. <laughs> Sick. But I thought it was a joke because like you said, you have guys like, and even Jesse Winker, not because he's just on my team, but because the guy knows how to play baseball, man. Another walk off mm-hmm. today. He's, I mean, he's up there with Acuna and hits in the average department. I mean, he is right there in the NL for being a top player. And Mike Trout on the other side, you can't argue with anything that he's doing right now on yeah. pace to just continue to be the all around absolute monster that he is. Yeah, absolutely insane, dude. I can't wait to hopefully go and watch him in person when we go down to yeah. Tampa here in another month, month and a half. That's maybe the goal, we'll, ladies and gentlemen, is maybe I'll, to see maybe Mike Trout my, in flesh in person. I'll take my mic, we can plug into the phone, and we'll get him an on-field interview before the game. 
Hey, I have quite a few like Mike Trout, like memorabilia things in Angels. Cause my dad, <laughs> when my dad went to LA for work, like three years ago, he was in the Anaheim area and he brought back, which I have right behind me. It's the Los Angeles angels batting practice hat. That's super clean, red top blue bill. Um, he got me a Mike Trout lanyard. It's a Mike Trout commemorative coin. I've got a few things. I might have to try and get this guy's autograph. I've probably got like four <laughs> to five pieces of Mike Trout, like memorabilia. So yeah, I'm excited. Like all it. of it, all of my angels had on be the angels fan for a night and no. it'll be a good time. <laughs> all right. So I think that's going to wrap up baseball and we're now going to head into our picks of the week. And Drew's going to tell you what, how we did last week. And I can tell you now we're already hoping to do better this week. All right, Drew. So lay it on us. How did we do last week? So last week was really just not a great week for, uh, either of us if we're being uh quite honest with each other uh both of us were four and three um i however split the mlb you doubled down on the mlb um we both split um nba and then we both got whooped in the NCAA <laughs> baseball category, but um, four and three on the week, and that moves us both to twelve and ten total. So, not terrible. Still a close split, even you know, kind of battle so far. So we'll see how this week goes. I actually feel pretty decent about this week. Um, so I actually will go first. Um, for the MLB, I have the Rangers versus the Mariners. Um, neither one of them are great baseball teams, if we're being honest with each other. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to come out and say it. But I have to go with the Rangers. You know, I am feeling a little bit of confidence uh, today. I'll throw a little shout-out to Clint Pittman. I'll ride with the, the Rangers. Um How's your boy Joey Gallo doing? Who you co-signed at oh, the beginning of the season? <laughs> hey, hey remember, your, hey, remember your Lindor? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and then the second game of the week that I have, or the series of the week, is the Rays versus the Athletics. Um, I'm actually going to take the Athletics in that. I feel like kind of uh, riding that streak and that wave that I'm on with the Athletics could continue to bring me some good, uh, some good regeneration after a four and three week i need a big week this week and i'm gonna ride with the athletics okay yeah so for my first series i gotta battle the top two teams in the al central we've got the chicago white Sox and the kansas city royals the white Sox have been on the heels of the royals pretty much for the past couple weeks since they seem to have turned things around a little bit and i think this is when they finally surpass them and i'll take over to the division <clears throat> so i've got the white Sox and that series and then the next one I have is the San Diego Padres and the San Francisco Giants. The Dodgers and Padres are tied for second right now. And the Giants have kind of taken a surging lead, but kind of what we talked about before, I think there's still a big talent gap between San Diego and Los Angeles and San Francisco. So I'm going to take San Diego to win that one. So Chicago to beat the Royals and San Diego to beat San Francisco. So then all right, so then going over to the NBA, um, we got quite a few big matchups coming up. And first off, well, I guess both my games have to do with the Lakers because LeBron's supposed to be coming back again. So I've got the Lakers versus the Blazers that's coming up, and I'm going to pick the Blazers in that game. 
the Blazers are kind of in dire straits right now. Like they're going to make the playoffs, but they're trying to stay out of that play in tournament because you don't want to be in the play in tournament where you could go from a seventh seed to not in the playoffs at all. So I'm going to go with the Blazers and Portland Trail Blazers in that game. And then we've got the Suns and the Lakers, and I'm going to take the Suns in that game. Also, the pickup here have been huge Suns fans lately, or the whole season, really. They've been a fun team to watch, and I think they're going to keep going, and I think it's going to be a statement win for them. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. I um, My NBA, I, uh, I went with the Wizards versus the Raptors in my first game. Both are at that uh, 9 and 10 spot. And I just feel like that's going to be a good game to watch because it's competitive. It's going to be a close, both battling for staying in the top 10 um, and kind of just holding that spot above the other would be huge. Um, and it gives us a little tone setter for what we may see in the play-in tournament. And then I also have the Lakers versus the Trophy. Wait, who did you pick? Who did you didn't uh, pick? Anybody? The Wizards. The oh, Wizards. Okay. Smart, smart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I also have the Lakers versus the Trailblazers, but I took the Lakers in that game due to LeBron supposedly coming back. Yeah, that's going to be interesting because he didn't look that great when he came back. And then he had that statement that said he'll never be 100% again, which typically you don't really hear guys like you would never hear Tom Brady or somebody say something like that. Like that was just surprising to me. That yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Moving into the uh, NHL, I uh, game one, I have the Kings versus the Coyotes. Um, I think kind of just two bottom tier teams again. I, I was going to say that's a yeah, I, took, <laughs> I took the Coyotes in that just because I, I don't really know too much about it. And uh, they have a decent team this year from where they have been. Um, and then I have the Red Wings and the Blue Jackets. Again, another bottom tier game. I'm just living with the feeders down this week. Um, <laughs> I'm taking the Coyotes and the Blue Jackets in the NHL this week. Okay, yeah, so kind of like I was telling you, we were figuring out these picks. This NHL was just tough this week because it's a lot of eliminated teams playing each other or it's eliminated teams playing teams that have already clinched. So one of the only games, if not the only game, I think that is two teams that have both clinched that are playing each other are the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers. And right now the Florida Panthers are above the Lightning in the standings, but I think the Lightning are going to switch that around here. I think the Hurricanes will still win the uh, Central, but I'm going to have the Lightning coming in second. So I think they start off doing that by beating the Panthers this coming Saturday because that would be a big game for them, obviously taking points away from an opponent that's close to you and adding points to your own. So I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Lightning there. And then also on Saturday, I think it was the 8th. Uh, the Bruins and Rangers are playing each other, which is going to be just a really good physical Nor'eastern battle. And I'm going to take the Boston Bruins there. All right, so now going into college baseball, both of us are going to try to recoup a little bit uh, this week after struggling last week. So my first team I'm going with is the team that kind of screwed me last week and beat Texas Tech. So I'm actually going to go with Texas beating TCU. That's a three versus six matchup. Should be a good series. Texas baseball is always really good. A lot of good recruits coming out of that Texas area, a lot of talent. Um, so that should be a good series, I think. And then the next one I'm going with is out in out West in the Pac-12, and I'm going to take Stanford over Arizona. Ooh, went against, went against Skurlock there on that one. Yeah, I did. All right, all right. Um, my first NCAA game of the week, and I told you this before we were picking them and everything, I kind of went off the beaten path a little bit and picked uh, maybe some low-key game. 
and then back to, you know, a normal game. I picked Mercer in Western Carolina this week for my game one. And I'm going to go with Mercer. Uh, Craig Gibson's the coach at Mercer. And his overall winning percentage is 590, which is a pretty good, <laughs> a pretty good winning percentage after 17 seasons. Uh, he's yeah. 556 and 385. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a golden spikes. He has four regional appearances. You know, I just think that the coaching staff and this one may be the difference. Uh, two pretty competitive schools, both on a similar path this year. But I think that Mercer has to step up in the coaching staff realm. Um, mm-hmm. And then in game two, I'm actually going to go with Tulane versus ECU. And I'm going to pick ECU in this game, but I'm going to touch on both teams. Tulane has a hitter, Lee Bennett Lee, who has 102 at bats this year and is batting 461. Sheesh. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, their bullpen is insane. Um, they only have a couple of guys with like randomly high ERAs, but their bullpen is a very good bullpen. Um, their starters, their weekend starters are always pretty solid. They're solid again this year. The team's batting average is 281, which is not terrible, but it is not great either. Um, ECU is just a really good baseball team this year at 30 and 9. Oh, yeah. uh, it's very, very hard to go against Cliff Godwin and ECU. The Pirates this year are just absolutely outstanding. Um, and him himself, he's been a part of 11 NCAA regional tournaments. And has two College World Series appearances. So, I mean, again, they're on pace again this year to be back to that kind of winning, if you will. Um, but he's been there for quite some time. The Pirates are back to be in the program that can be successful. Um, he did coach at University of Mississippi. So, I mean, these are some big, big time coaching experience for ECU and back to being 30 and nine. I think they're going to win this game and take it, take these games, the series pretty good and just kind of make a statement going into regionals in a, in a month or so. Yeah. ECU is a really solid team for sure. And then I'm just going to toss in a little pick to end it. My boys at app state are going down to the university of uh, Miami for college baseball. this coming weekend. I just want to wish them luck. Hopefully we can maybe pull out a game, hopefully too. But um, anyway, it's great experience. A lot of fun for the Boone boys to head down to Miami, get to go to the beach, hang out for a little bit, play some baseball against a top tier school and hopefully show some MLB scouts that may be there, uh, what they can do. So yeah. Yeah. wishing them luck in a couple of weeks, me and Drew be together and not, not next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after App State is traveling down to the University of South Carolina for a midweek game, which I can't wait for. Um, it's Founders Park for a big one. It's going to be an interesting game to close out the year. A lot of different things going on within that kind of whole foundation of the game. Definitely. We'll have an in-person podcast that week too, which will be <laughs> a lot of fun. So yeah, it, will, it will. It will. So that's going to wrap up episode number 17 of the pickup. Uh, we really hope you guys enjoyed that Mike Skurlock interview. That was awesome. Shout out yeah. to Drew for getting that set up. Uh, yeah, super cool great. to talk to a former NFL player. And yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for this week. And for Drew Hartman, I'm Stephen Biddix. We're clocking out and we will see you guys next time.